back to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the only book club podcast that endorses karaoke as a form of sort of catharsis. You need to sing, you need to shout, you need to let it out. I say, Amanda, go for it. I 100% agree. <laughs> any any need for some karaoke to start off the pod? We don't really sing very often on this podcast. I, I don't want to scar our listeners with my Got singing it. voice. So. Got it. We can accomplish that on our own with our hot literary takes and interpretations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not much of a public singer. More of a private singer, yeah. you know? I think that's good to have that energy in you. But since I am untrained, since uh, last last <laughs> last vocal training was in about the fourth, maybe sixth grade. It's been a long time. I never did choir or chorus or any of that stuff so okay zero zero we, we had to do it at, at a certain in a certain year i think they only opened up the band later so i think we had to but if you're wondering why we're talking about the emotional catharsis of karaoke it is because you have found a book club part two episode on the memoir crying in h mart by michelle zahner it is with a z right okay i, was, I thought i yeah. was misspelling it earlier and i didn't pick up the book anyway by michelle's honor um if you've found us in error that's okay we are as i mentioned the lightly literary podcast and as i mentioned this is a part two book club which means we'll be discussing and spoiling the entirety of crying in h mart uh, especially the second half of it um, we currently have a book club part one in the feed in the podcast feed and also a book recommendation for this one so if this is the wrong episode then feel free to go check one of those out um and you can jump in with us anytime We'll be here waiting for you in the feed. If you don't follow us already on social media, we'd, you know, ask you to do so. If you, if you have accounts, we're up on Instagram and Facebook. We are at the Lightly Literary Podcast, which is all one word. So check us out there for promotions, reminders of the books we're covering, the schedule, book picks, all that kind of fun stuff. So we post there pretty regularly. We're almost caught up, Amanda. I'm threatening. <laughs> Though then again, it just never stops coming. So it's like every time I think yeah. I'm close, yeah. it's like, oh, time passes still? Okay. I can't just freeze time. <laughs> what an annoyance. Um, yeah. In today's episode, we're, we're diving deep on the second half of Crying in H Mart. Uh, any content warnings for this half, Amanda? Any? I just put, I mean, it's a book about um, her mother's passing from cancer. So anything about terminal illness or cancer treatment, that would be mine. Anything I missed? I don't think so. Uh, you know, there there's a couple some... of like f bombs, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't do I, our content warnings are not discussed. We don't have a method for it. It's kind of a feel thing. Um, the only thing I was thinking was drunk driving, but it's pretty. The description's not that intense, but it's in here. So anyway, drunk driving also shows up in the in the back half. Um, I think we've got everything out of the way. Shall we dive into part two? Let's do it. Let's get after it. Okay. Chapters 10 and 11, we're going to do our analysis in order of the book. We go chronologically now, and we'll do a quick summary to catch up if if you forgot what you read or haven't read. Um, chapters 10 and 11 uh, begin with their trip to South Korea. So one of her mother's final wishes was to have a, have a final South Korean trip that they plan. Uh, things quickly take a turn, though. She kind of relapses into her illness that she had from before. She's nonverbal. They have to take her to a hospital, and she's, she's stuck in there getting care. They also at that point kind of reconcile with the fact that she's probably going to die now and, and die in Korea because her symptoms just get terrible. And so, you know, they even had this sort of couple pages of a kind of resigned meeting about their new life without her. However, 
she makes a miraculous recovery and Zoner gets her boyfriend over the phone uh, because of that recovery, sort of the timing of it to agree to marry. And so they have something to kind of plan and look forward to. Her mom gets excited about the wedding. Um, fittingly enough, the next chapter describes their courtship, like how they met. They worked at a restaurant at the same time. She, they were friends of friends. I think she was attracted to him for a long time, etc. Pretty light stuff. Nothing, nothing too intense or unique there, but they, yeah, a little courtship. And then the chapter is dedicated to their wedding. So they have to plan it quickly, but it turns out to be kind of a perfect little affair. They have it at their house, a nice intimate Oregon kind of rural wedding. Uh, It seems like they got all their major friends and family there. Her mother's dressed up for the occasion and seems to be in pretty good health. Like the cancer doesn't show up at all. It's a huge success. Uh, Really a, a break in the book because so much of the book is intense and there's so much collapsing and you know, bad health. It was, a, yeah, it's kind of a bit of a revelry chapter. So they have a feast, there's some heartwarming speeches and vows, and then they have like a huge raging party and really get to unwind. So yeah, kind of a heartwarming chapter tucked in to the middle. Yeah, it was really nice. What um, what do you want to discuss from this part? Um, I, I've really like zoned in on the, the food discussions that she has yeah. just because uh, I just love the way that she writes with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been trying to, as I was reading, I was trying to think of like how the food um, symbolizes certain aspects of like her quest for understanding her identity and her um, journey into like analyzing her relationship, not only with her mom, but also a little bit with her dad. So mm-hmm. I found it interesting on page 138, there's, um, she mentioned that in Korean cooking, there's not really like measurements, like you can, of course, like there's measurements for stuff, but the way that, um, my grandmother, my mother, my aunt, the way they measure is like, oh, uh, you just do it until it tastes right. Or, <laughs> yeah. you know, when you're measuring rice, uh, cooking for rice, like you, we measure, I measure by the the water line coming up to the first line on my middle finger and stuff like that. (laughs) So it's not precise measurements. And so it's very vague. It's very imprecise. And then the follow-up scenes to that description of like following a quote, Korean recipe, there's, um, Fran, who is, uh, Peter's mom. So Zauner's mother-in-law, she's the mommy mom. Right. And so she's the stereotypical, what you would imagine basically like, <laughs> exactly just, yeah, support mommy mom is a fun way <laughs> yeah. to put it but yeah yeah um and then there's also the scene of um her mom and her dad holding hands over the console in the car when they're all in the car together and they're just like talking about nothing for hours mm-hmm. um so the way that I read it is like she's looking at these different relationships where Fran's relationship with her son and even with Zauner and then her parents' relationship, which is, as we know, imperfect since her father is, you know, has had affairs for a long time. We don't know yeah. whether the mom knows. Right. And they haven't been intimate in a while because her father never you know, hid that fact. Um, so the the idea of like the perfect relationship her parents were still it looked like happy right mm-hmm. and Fran's relationship with her son and with her children seems really nice and happy but in her relationship with her mom was getting better and is even like stronger in the end here so I just thought that it was interesting that she paired these scenes with the idea of cooking 
as a vague thing and thinking of like relationships as imperfect and unable to really quantify or to measure the success of um, because it's just not it's just different for everybody and she's kind of coming to terms with that they show up later in the book his family and sort of it's subtle though do you think the book sets up at a purposeful contrast i mean there it's very purposeful it's not very i don't know i don't think she dwells on it too much there's not a ton of i don't know like regret or something it it's almost factual in how she presents it um in a sense but do you think the book sets up anything deeper to dive into or like a contrast to contemplate there other than um, I guess what you already you just you know said a lot and well, but is there any? <laughs> there's something I guess what I'm trying to tease out is there's something later that I think is interesting, but it it also goes kind of unremarked upon. It's something I'm reading maybe into it, but was there anything else about that relationship you noticed or? No, no, okay. not really. That was just um, something that I had thought about a little bit. Well, we'll have to get into my super secret, you know. Only alluded to reading later. Yeah, now I'm really interested. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, for this part, I just pulled from the end of the wedding because it was just such a blissful little chapter. Uh, Every single chapter in this book has led you to expect catastrophe and tragedy at every turn. So I was just, I was very surprised. I was a bit almost moved. Um, This book also, cry, let's keep the cry counter going. I didn't cry while reading this, though. I knew I should have, you know? (laughs) It, like, made me feel things for sure. I also, I I cry, I get manipulated, I think, more by music. Like, TV and movies can get me. Books, books, yeah, I don't know. But anyway, I know, but the end of the wedding scene probably should have. Um, Yeah, it's just a really touching, like, what did you think about the fact stylistically that she didn't, because she could have copy and pasted her vows, I assume, but she summarizes them, which I kind of liked. I almost expected her to like, yeah, I almost expected her to like paste them exactly because, you know, it's pretty meticulous. She's pretty thoughtful with like what she remembers, but I don't know. Yeah, I kind of like the simplicity of it and it kind of kept things moving. Yeah, I I liked to the, um, I think it's very fitting and it's indicative of her personality. And I think she did that to to showcase like how Peter is way more meticulous than she is (laughs) in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially with language. It seems like uh, I was the uh, what was it that he said that was like the super big words? It's the name oh, of the chapter. Yeah, they're like Ten Commandments or something like that. Yeah, it like, was cute. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was very well, well done. You, you um, gotta put that master's degree to work. <laughs> it's you true. know, you gotta put it. Gotta put it to work. Uh, the only, the other part I'd mentioned on two thirty nine, and it's it's where you again expect things to dip into tragedy. But when her mom leaves the party, it says after the dance, my mother went up to her room. I could see her weeping as she walked away with uh, is it Kie Kai. Okay. And my father, I wasn't sure if it was because she was so happy or if she was upset, frustrated she could enjoy the night until its end. I tilted back another fluid of champagne. I was relieved it and so just kind of moves on from it. It's very telling that again, it's just a brief episode like that. There's not really dwelling on it. It's it's even she doesn't even interpret it, right? Which I think is pretty powerful. It's just kind of like, you know, we were in revelry, she was there for it, she was able to have a dance, you know. And I don't know. I think I like that version of just it felt very natural and sort of celebratory. And again, in terms of tone, it it was nice to get that break in the book. It really was. It was, and I like to. I, I like that you pointed out that she didn't really interpret that final weeping 
scene of, of her mother. Is it tears of like regret or is it tears of happiness or yeah. a combination of the two? I, I feel like she does that quite a bit in her writing here where she doesn't try to interpret certain things for us. She just lays it all out and is like, that's how it is. And, and I like that. I, I think that um, I, I like it because it's up for interpretation. What I don't necessarily like about it is that again I and I, I mentioned this in the previous po- pod um, the, sorry episode mm-hmm. I I feel like there's almost like an emotional wall there for her so that we we see all the happenings and in, in her thoughts but we don't necessarily we're not able to necessarily empathize with Zauner as a person because she's like her emotions are so blocked in which is i can very easily cry um with Mm -hmm. well everything commercials with books with i mean yeah (laughs) um, you're right so everything but i didn't cry in this book because emotionally i was not connected to her i was emotionally connected to her story and to the things that were happening but to her as a person i wasn't and i think it's because she was so factual and just like so honest without those interpretations that i was able to read without just falling to pieces essentially yeah i think it's she is quite open and honest and i would call it emotional maybe even especially with her self-critique sort of her shortcomings like the the times when she feels selfish or something in in this memoir so i yeah i do think yeah, I do think that there's that emotion that comes through, but there are definitely moments when she's, especially in the intense caregiving, when it doesn't, yeah, it's a little more, I don't know, clinical, I guess is the fitting word. Um, yeah, that's a good word. Yeah, let's jump to the next three chapters. Yep. Um, so after the wedding, Zoner's mom begins to deteriorate physically. There's no more walks, or even at one point, there's no more talking. Um, Kia finally takes her leave after she comes back to the house from a night of gambling and drinking to brag to Zoner's mom about winning a TV, uh, to which Zoner's mom whispered something to Kia, which forces her to leave in a huff. And that is never revealed um, what she said. Not that, you know, that'd be a bit tidy, I suppose, since this is a true story. But, mm. yeah, we don't know what she said. Um, <laughs> right, of course. But both Zauner and uh, Zauner's dad are terrified of leaving Zauner's mom unattended. And um, they're afraid of missing her final moments. And after she passes, then Zauner goes to the local orchard with Peter, her husband, which is where she and her dad used to go when she was a child. It was a father-daughter bonding experience. And she analyzes why she went there, which is generally a happy place when she's so sad. Um, Her dad does the funeral arrangements aside uh, from Zauner's eulogy and choice of tombstone, which was meant to say lovely, but instead says loving, uh, which pisses them both off. And after everything... Spoiler. (laughs) Yeah, they they do fix it later. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. Um... And after, but I think I'll tell you anyway, um, after everything, um, Zoner's mom's art teacher drops off a letter and Zoner takes the time to actually look through her mom's sketches and contemplate how similar and dissimilar she is from her mom. Yeah. And her, apparently her art's like really good. Turns yeah. Out good. Time to include a photo. You know, we're always clamoring for more photos. Yeah, in the nonfiction. Yeah, I know, <laughs> right? I would lo- I would have loved to have seen some of that, especially uh, when she was discussing 
the pictures of her mom as a child with her sisters. I was like, oh, I bet that's sweet. <laughs> yeah, I think a picture of her family in Korea w- would have helped me out a ton personally. Mostly because you know how I am with names, so it, uh, over a time it just became like, uh oh. But the, the relationships are clear anyway. Um, from this section, I will say that this I think was the moment that almost got me to cry. It was you know, cry. Let's keep cry watch alive. <laughs> um, and it was it was the note. It was the art note. Um, yeah. I, and I don't know if it was because she included it in full, which we agreed the, with the vows. Like it kind of made sense to not do that, keep the party going, keep it not light, but you know, make it seem like a not too downtrodden a night. But the note, for some reason, is very thorough. It kind of the fact that she, you know, obviously this isn't. I, was, I don't know why I'm questioning it. Like it's fiction. Like this really happened. Maybe that's part of it. The detail of it. The fact that she didn't stay to talk to her about it. That's also made me strangely emotional kind of you almost interpret that as cold but then you might assume too that the person maybe was too overwhelmed or something by this you know late in life kind of beautiful friendship but i do think which and i don't even know if parts of it need to be read it just ends with her name chung is it chung me uh yeah that's uh Zanner's mom yeah chung me yeah. you're a beautiful kind and favorable lady and i love you so much so i i do love and i i will have to say this delicately maybe but like the improper adjective favorable, which is not a word we would ever use to describe a, a person, <laughs> mm-hmm. is just cute. Like it had the little moments like that where it's, I don't know if that's an English as second language tick or if it's just a word that she liked, but it's definitely not a traditional word you'd throw on a list like that. And it was just very sweet. It felt very warm and kind of real, honest, I guess. Again, it was, you know, it's a real thing that happened. So that makes sense. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Ultimately, it shows... It was a good way to hit the theme again about her mother's kind of, not secret life, but this 10%, this theme she comes back to a lot, This that her mom had a 10% she held for herself and not didn't give to anyone else. It's kind of fascinating, you know? And like, I thought a really bold choice and really just a kind of a sweet, maybe a tinge of sadness again, that she didn't stay and like talk with her. It didn't feel like she was open enough to connect with her daughter. But then again, it's sort of the... Yeah, it's sort of the tone of the book too. Like it's not a, a sentimental book, right? Right. So it, it the the purpose like the the note too helped Zauner to investigate her mom away from the family as well because she's only ever known her mom as mom and not anything else. So that was a nice note to give to. It, written for Chongmi, for Zauner's mom, but obviously left for the family to appreciate. So mm-hmm. that was just a nice piece of Zauner's mom that Zauner could could kind of explore and find a new facet of. Yeah, it, I think fitting enough that she did address it not even to her family, though. Right? Didn't, doesn't she? She directly addressed it to her. Another kind of, which made me think maybe she thought she was going to drop it off before she passed. Which, again, if you interpret it that way, it really adds a, a real somber note to the to the otherwise very sweet friendship. You know, it's just everything in this book ha- seems to have that, except the wedding. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. with that, with yeah. every development, with every turn, with every reveal, it's you kind of get that twist of, um, you know, something a little bittersweet. How about for you? Um, so the when she went to the orchard with Peter, um, I I found that interesting 
because we get a glimpse of she's mentioned sometimes like some of the sweeter memories of her father with her father um and then like the disillusionment later when she finds out that he's been cheating and and like Mm -hmm. all that stuff um so i thought that that was a nice piece to showcase like how how much she loved him at one point and how much she enjoyed spending time with him even alone time without her mom um, because that was specifically just her and her dad and how childish he is like she definitely mm-hmm. depicts him as childish in a lot of ways like throwing things and and just like enjoying being messy and and all this stuff like um and then versus like what he is to her now especially like after her mom passes um and she's questioning this whole time like how can we even keep this family together when i barely even like my dad (laughs) yeah right um so i thought that was a nice memory to to build off of and to contrast how she how her ambiguity with her relationship to him right now Um, It doesn't quite resolve in the book, too, not to... I mean, I know we do these analyses chronologically now, but I'll fight it forever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just not the way I comprehend things, I guess, or, you know, analyze. But it doesn't... Yeah, it it ends in sort of a throw up your hands. Perhaps we're just not the people to be connected, but it's not cold. It's not... What's the term I'm looking for? Estranged. You're not estranged, but also you're not exactly connected either. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, we know, I think, in a previous chapter, we know that he's in Thailand, I believe, and mm-hmm. he's um, chasing around girls that are younger than him. You're right. That's what she put right. it. Um, so. There was a line early in the book about how she she questioned, um, or was it her or mom, but they questioned whether or not she really loved her mom or if she was just some kind of fetish to him and that... You know, I would assume the rest of the book disputes that a, at least a little, but I think, I don't know, it's sort of this idea. Of, she doesn't come back to that. It's early in the book when she mentions that. But it does seem like the kind of line of thinking that once you, you get lodged in your brain, you can't, like, back away from it or something. Yeah, even her mom said it, right? Because her yeah. mom said, oh, he, yeah, of course he would remarry. We've already talked about it. He would remarry and he'd probably remarry a, an Asian. Right. Right. And, and it bothered Zauner so much. She was just like, why would you? <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely. Any other thoughts from these chapters? Um, I thought it was interesting on page 169. Uh, um, she's talking about her, her mom. Um, she said to her mom, isn't it nice how we actually enjoy talking to each other now? I said to her once on a trip home from college after the bulk of the damage done in my teenage years had been allayed. It is, she said. You know what I realized? I've just never met someone like you. It's a great line. Right? I, I was like, wow. Um, and so I, I thought that was interesting because a part of this memoir is also Zauner's journey to understand, like, her own identity. Like, is she Korean? Is she American? How others perceive her and how she's, like, in this nebulous limbo of identity um so i think that's also during that time zauner's perception of herself is just she she just doesn't know who she is either especially in your teenage years everybody is like figuring out who they are yeah so she had also never met somebody like her herself right so um that identity issue i think is an important theme in, in the book and that's something that I picked up on. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it, I thought that line was so striking, probably one of the most and again, the fact that it's not we're not fiction makes it even more, I don't know, like articulate or impressive or something. It's like it'd be hard to write a line that clever or something. Um saying it to your own daughter, the irony of that and everything. It's like Yeah, but I also it raises the questions of parenting and I know as a you know, former teacher or whatever current educator, however you want to use the terms. It is odd, though, because it's a refrain you hear from some parents where it's like, I don't know who these aliens are in my home, you know, like, I don't know who, where, <laughs> how, where do you, where's your personality come from? Like, who are you? And then, of course, as a teacher uh, and, and someone who's not a parent either, crucially, I so often had the opposite point of view, which is like, no, you, you are just like them. You know, it's kind of like I joked or I always joke where it's like, I never had a parent teacher conference where I was shocked, like... I would, it very rarely surprised me. Whatever issues were manifesting or greatness was happening, you could like, it was radiating off the parent. And it's like, I know parents want to sometimes be, I know how hard the job is and thankless and all the, all the difficult, but it's like, it doesn't fall far. There's that cliche, I think, holds a lot of wisdom for me. Um, mm-hmm. But so to hear it from her mom, though, it's it's fascinating for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting line. I thought that was a nice, another complex twist. Um, Oh, yeah, in the art class note. Okay. Next chapters, 15 and 16. Uh, the funeral is now concluded. So at this point, Zahner and her father feel kind of trapped by their house. It has that eerie emptiness of, you know, a life that's over. They also, when they do the real estate listing later, she has a nice description of how, I don't know, ghostly and creepy a house can seem <laughs> that you lived in yeah. you know, for sale. How cheap it kind of feels at that point. Anyway, uh, but so they decide to sort of remedy this feeling, this malaise. They decide to book a two-week vacation to Vietnam to try and like get away, maybe even spend some quality time together, try and recover a bit emotionally. Um, fittingly enough, they kind of just spend it relaxing and eating. Tons of good food descriptions in, the, in this section. <laughs> Tons mm-hmm. of interesting things they're munching on and the body on me they're eating you know leisurely in a leisurely way and yeah they're just they're having like a decent vacation it's not going great but it's not terrible is that a fair description oh yeah but well at the beginning yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) there's a big falling out though so they have a very awkward dinner where the dad is kind of working many angles of terribleness which you know it is her account so let's just trust that it went down this way but so he's doing the he's being basically an annoying foodie so that's kind of thing a Thing B is that he's definitely hitting on the young waitress who is Vietnamese, and as she's already established, she's kind of uncomfortable with this um, sexual thing he has or doesn't have or something. And then three, he is speaking in sort of a, I don't know, heavily accented English that would fit in with stereotypes of Asian English speech patterns. Uh, so it's kind of a triple threat of like a pretty awful, you know, drunken performance on his part. They have a fight about it. She's annoyed. She thinks she's, you know, he's pressing the waitress being really frustrating. Oh, did I miss anything in the dinner there that he it's uh, the offenses? I don't think so. I, I yeah. think that's pretty spot on. <laughs> yeah, really awkward dinner. Um, and so she leaves. She's upset, and she kind of storms out on the dinner after they argue a bit about it. Um, she, thankfully, though, recovers the night at a karaoke bar. So there's the, there's that reference. Um, and it's it turns out to be a local bar, so it's not very, uh, you know, not Americanized or international tourist touristized. And so she meets some people there. They talk about singing and music and why they love it, make some international connections. It's really a nice little night. And so, yeah, kind of recovers the trip for her. 
the rest of the trip's pretty uneventful, but I, they're clearly pretty disconnected too. It's not exactly like they have a deep sort of resonant, I don't know, revelation together or something. It's like they just kind of have a quiet vacation. Um, immediately in the next chapter, we talk about whiplash, uh, unintended pun. <laughs> he immediate her father like immediately gets into a drunk driving accident back in Oregon, and so quite luckily escapes uh, both the legal and physical repercussions of that. Right? He's pretty unscathed, or is he? Does he have to be? Is he in bed for a while? I forget the. Uh, no, but he like they did take him to the hospital. He had like uh, a couple of cuts or something like that because I mean yeah. his car rolled. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, he was like, he left the hospital, so he was all right. And even though she brought the mouthwash to try and help him out a bit, he didn't even get breathalyzed. So, you know, take from that what you will. She doesn't, to be fair to her, she doesn't really moralize it, kind of leaves it up to the reader to, to you know make their own conclusions there. Anyway, um, she then is sort of emotionally recovering this time is depressed and she really turns it into the maybe foodiest food part of the, of the memoir. And she kind of just gluttonously, gluttonously a word. I don't know if that's a real word. It is now cooks her way through the trauma (laughs) she's been through and just sort of starts cooking incredible food. She returns to South Korean cooking a bit. She finds a video online chef superstar. Is it Mang Chi? Yep. Mangchi, uh, whose videos I had seen before reading this, so shout out to me, and I'm assuming you had too. That's so funny. You know what Mangchi means? I don't. Does it mean like mother or something? No, it means hammer. Oh God, that's great. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. Um, and so yeah, she she begins this journey of maybe cooking more South Korean food, more dishes, and she kind of turns to Mangchi early. There's a chapter about her later, but she has these powerful reminders now in her life of her mother's legacy and starts to reconnect not just with food, but with specifically her mother's food. So we're again turning back to food. Um, had you wait? Yay. Had you seen Mangchi before this book? I have not. No. Okay. I, see, I I still have my mom, so my mom yeah. shows me how to make I have it. Exposed, <laughs> see, I exposed my own white American biases, assuming you had seen her videos. Because <laughs> I've seen some of them. Because I'm the one, I'm like, yeah, I'm the one frantically Googling, like, how do I use all this, uh, like, all this gochujang I have? Or, you know, what <laughs> yeah. do I, how do I make, I think I've used her... Beef. Oh, don't tell me the name. Oh, crap. It's the beef that all the Americans love because it's kind of sweet. It's got like some pear or some like sugar in it. Don't tell me, though. It's going to kill me if I don't know the name. It's not Colby. It does start with a B. Bulgogi. Damn. I can't believe I didn't pull that on my own. (laughs) But I think that's, I think it's her recipe I've made before. But anyway, she's kind of big online. She's kind of like a she's I mean, she's a little older now. I don't think she'd be from our generation. I don't know if our generation she'd be our first go to online chef, so to speak. But she's still popular. And I think she's still Mm -hmm. kind of like a a big online star. Yeah, Um, I'd never heard of her. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She's she's out there. She's out there. How about from this section? Any thoughts on the dad, on the father or anything else? Um, yeah, the, I, I, I thought it was interesting the different ways that she describes, um, food with her parents. So the dinner with her dad was, um, decadent. It was so many dishes, all the expensive stuff, including like wines and just like all this stuff. She didn't take a whole lot of time to describe um, like each particular dish, like she would, right. she, like she does with the Korean food, she was just focusing on like how much of it was there and how um, 
um, just the overwhelming nature of that dinner, I suppose. But Mm -hmm. versus later, um, like 20 pages later, we get the Jatjuk description, which is the um, pine nut uh, rice porridge, which she describes as like something that's healthy and really good for you. And just like, and it's very much a comfort food for her. Um, and also, I, I believe that's when Mangchi also describes it as a comfort food for, like, that's why you give it to people who are sick um, in, in the hospital and stuff, which is very true. Um, yeah. And so I, I thought that that was an interesting way to kind of showcase her opinions about her parents and, like, the way that she views her parents. Her dad is, like, over the top. He's all about being showy and and almost like a little shallow and then versus the jutjuk which is the warmth and the 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 loving memories and the comfort that she associates with her mom i thought that was really very a very telling way to use uh food as like symbolic yeah. of her relationships. There's some great I the only quotes I pulled from this one were food too, some great subtle moments. When she describes the Americanized comfort foods, she says instead I began to cook mostly the kind of food you could crawl into that re- that required sleeping off, the kind you'd order on death row. And then, you know, really rich descriptions from there, steaks, pies, bolognese. She, I bake giant lasagnas, smothering them with homemade bolognese and fistfuls of shredded mozzarella. Um, an interesting scene, too, with her father when they eat lobster. Pretty symbolic moment, as you mentioned. But when we ate lobster, my mother used to boil one for each of us and content herself with a side of corn or a baked potato and a small bowl of rice with banchan and a can of sari and oily fish she braised in soy sauce. But if we were lucky enough to find some, she'd eat the roe, the eggs, giddily scooping the plump orange eggs onto her plate. And then when they make them, he says no eggs with a sigh as he continued um, disembodying the rest of the carcass. So it's, you know, they have these little reminders come through, these small... I don't know, depressing again is a bit strong, but these small, sad moments of, right. you know, reminders of her and even even their food kind of feasts, their their food events, I was going to say. The food, um, food events, they are not enough to fully satisfy, even though there's comfort there, too. Right, yeah. Any of them make you the hungriest? Oh, man. Um... I, I always like anything with juk, uh, so the jat juk is, is a personal favorite of mine as well. I, I also really enjoy abalone juk. I don't like lobster. Um, mm, mm. So I would have been like her mom, where I, I mean, I've, I can cook it for other people, but I'm not going to eat it, so. <laughs> I like it. Um, I don't like I don't like food. This is so true. I don't know how to describe this up sounding like a weirdo. I don't like food that you have to <laughs> disassemble at the table kind of a vibe, like I don't mm. love chicken wings. I don't love ribs. I don't love because I just don't want to work quite that hard. I'd rather have the dish be prepared with the same food, but in a format where I don't have to spend a huge amount of time at the table, like working. <laughs> uh, which I know is such a weird way to describe food. I, you know, if it if it's off the bone or if it's not too much hassle, but something about lobster, it's that extra stage of. commitment you know to action and i just i like lobster rolls you know it's like i like the taste fine and enjoy food with lobster in it i like certain pastas that have lobster um or you know like sauce dishes but yeah like disassembling one or disembodying as she so uh, poetically put it yeah doesn't it that doesn't do a lot for me yeah 
Yeah. yeah it's, it's for me also like the, the taste of it is not, it's okay, but it's not something that I, I feel like I, I would actually work for. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. And it all gets dunked in butter, you know? Yeah. Delicious, delicious butter. What other, any other food quotes from this <laughs> one? Or I know we talked about the, the father connections to quite a bit at the dinner. Uh, nope. Does my analysis from part one hold up, which is that he needs his own book because he's just such a strange, <laughs> like, messy figure in this whole thing? And, I mean, he does he get really more pages is. in the second half, to be fair, you know, with he the does. vacation. And it's, yeah, he's, a, he's an odd one. I feel like her, I don't know, a deeper analysis of this, or maybe if I had to do the essay format for this question or something, but there is something detached, even though his presence is huge and he does these often really unstable dramatic things she doesn't quite describe him in the same way like it's just not there's a there's a it's like she holds back a little bit you know i don't know it's a strange thing yeah her i I find her her relationship with her father fascinating as well but it's just he seems and it's we're seeing it through her eyes but he's just so childish even the way that he's dealing with um her mother's cancer and and stuff like that he's just a big baby yeah he reverts back to that kind of behavior exactly which is i suppose not surprising considering how childish he is like in her memories and stuff like that like that's why when she was younger she could play so well with him right (laughs) essentially but yeah he's a fascinating figure it's yeah strange yeah really odd (laughs) odd presence (laughs) in the book too because he occupies such I mean, there's quite literally a chapter transition where it's like, this man has a, you know, drunk driving accident, like right now, (laughs) right away. And it's just like, oh my God, it's everything is so intense with him. Anyway, uh, let's jump to 17 and 18. Uh, So the scene opens on Downer's misery working as a cook at a pizza shop as she gets ready to leave Oregon for New York. Um, but before she goes, she's able to write enough songs for an album with Peter and a couple of other friends. Um, and that's her Psycho Pomp album, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. She and yeah, she and Peter finally take their honeymoon in Korea. Uh, they stay with Nami, her aunt, for a bit. And Zana regrets not being able to express her appreciation and hope for a closer relationship with her aunt. Um, there's a language barrier there, so... Um, she, she just can't do it. They do the trip that mom had planned to do before having her bad turn. So they go to Jejudo and they they go to the markets that her mom wanted to go to. And, and I believe they even went to Pusan. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. And after the honeymoon, the couple settle in New York and get some, quote, real jobs. Um, Zauner describes a memory of her mother's prophetic poo dreams. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Should we stop? Are we doing deep sort of Freudian analysis of this now? Or do you want to hit this later? Or what's the... (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's so funny. Like, Korean analysis of dreams is like, if if it's something bad, it actually means something good in your life is going to happen. Okay. Um, Unless it's something to do with, like, your teeth falling out. Apparently, that's like, you're going to die or you're going to get really sick. Um, And she also talks about some of the dreams about her mother like she starts dreaming about her mom and in her dreams her mom is alive but not healthy and every time she goes to get her dad her mom is like just disappears or she wakes up um so these dreams lead her to seek some therapy 
but the therapy is ultimately unfulfilling. And so instead she turns to cooking Korean food as a kind of therapy and really Mm -hmm. goes crazy with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also on that 10 year cooking food instead of going to therapy journey. It's a long, long (laughs) road. (laughs) A long winding road. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did any of the dishes that she started to get into, were they in these chapters? I started to have to admit I'm bleeding them together. I know there's one where she gets really deep in. Was that were those these? Uh this one, I know that she in particular gets into how she makes the kimchi and the different types of kimchi. Oh, yeah, it really gets into yeah. the manchi videos too. That's when she gets yeah. kind of deeper into that the, that world. Exactly. Did any yeah. of them jump out? Just the kimchi process, like, uh, when I was little, I used to help my mom make kimchi, um, and my mom still makes her own kimchi. I just haven't had the time to make it with her, but mm-hmm. I love watching her do it. And it's just, uh, especially my, my, I had my aunts came over one time, um, and my, I have an aunt in Korea and I've got, um, an aunt here and I have an aunt in, um, New York and they were, we were all in the same spot at, at my other aunt's house and everybody was just making like tubs and tubs of so many different kimchis and it was oh man it's great to watch and also just so delicious i'm always so happy with some fresh kimchi but <laughs> yeah kimchi is pretty spectacular i think i don't have a i don't have cravings for it but i'm always happier when it's there sort of a vibe oh yeah it's like anytime that i have rice like i i feel like i need kimchi anytime that i eat meat I also want mm. kimchi. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And it is it is a gift to, to plain rice, you know? If you're not doing anything fancy with your rice, if you're not if you're not zhuzhing up the rice, then it's the essential banchan, right? Yeah. Oh, the, man, the best, the best thing is fresh rice with an over-easy egg, and you just break the yolk, and the yolk um, goes into the rice, mm. throw a little bit of butter in it, and then some kimchi on top, and you mix it all up. It's so good. That's like ah, the damn. best snack. Yeah, I'm on board. I co- I co-sign this as a meal, <laughs> even a snack. Yeah, whatever. Um, only thing I wanted to bring up from this section, I'm finally getting to what I alluded to from before. It's a little family moment. So, I, this is what I appreciated about this memoir. I think, of course, she does lay some things out clearly, but then others are more subtle. Um, one of them here is on 333. Oh, this isn't the one I alluded to. This is a different one, but still something with the family. When she starts to visit or visits South Korea and is there with the family, they want her to stay there. She feels kind of awkward that her Korean isn't as good as she wants it to be. Another kind of pain point for her identity. But the the way it gets Korean uh, translated, sorry, out of Korean, so I meant to say, her aunt says she spoke Korean into her translation app. She held up the phone for me to see in big letters it read, that's blood ties with the Korean text above it. That's blood ties, the robot read out loud. The voice's pacing was all wrong, slow to process the contraction and quick between blood and ties and at pronouncing the sal- syllable sorry, without regard for one another. There was so much I wanted to say to Nami. I thought of all the years my mother had taken me to Korean school, how I begged her every week to let me skip it and enjoy my Friday night with my friends. All the money and time I wasted, all the time she told me I'd regret treating the lessons as a drag one day. She was right about everything. And, you know, she says I felt so fucking stupid. Um... Another kind of, I don't know, it's not the way you would express it perhaps in English, but that's kind of the beauty of translation is sometimes it's awkward, sometimes it's goofy, sometimes it's 
funny. Sometimes it's frustrating or like enraging. Um, and I just something about that expression, that's blood ties was it was very formal, but very sweet because it isn't, again, quite the way you'd probably phrase it. Um Right. In English, you know, <laughs> and so I, yeah, I just it was another little communication, little bit of dialogue, little detail that I thought was like really sweet and illuminating. And um, I think maybe Zahner's how she says it afterwards. You know, I was I regretted everything. My mom was right about everything. I think some of her turns in the back half of the book feel a bit extreme i guess or she gets to some conclusions that i'm like okay i mean it's you know in light of your life and the trauma and the and the treatment and everything like i get where you end up here some of it felt a bit i don't know i don't know if extreme is the right word but yeah that was a sweet little moment and i thought like a i don't know sometimes google translate helps us out you know gives us something to (laughs) a little a little bit of humanity or something i don't know it does um I, and I thought that was also very sweet and also really important for her whole uh, discussion about her identity and like, it, is she Korean enough? Is she mm-hmm. American enough? Um, and so the, yeah. the the reassurance that that she is still Korean, that she is her mother's daughter, regardless of having lost her mother and the fear of losing mm-hmm. The, the cultural ties there, especially since she doesn't have the language necessarily. Um, that was a really important uh, point for her and her aunt reassuring her in that way, I think is really important. And it, and it ties to um, at the end of the chapter 18, when she's making all the <laughs> so much kimchi. Um, and she remembers yeah, that her yeah. mom said, um, I'm going to pull it up right here. Uh, she's talking about how she, uh, her mom was saying that she needs to find somebody um, who will who enjoys kimchi and not somebody who doesn't like kimchi because quote they'll always smell it on you seeping through your pores her very own way of saying you are what you eat and so the her identity is very much or at least her Korean identity is very much tied up in the food and mm-hmm. her mom even though her mom sometimes made her feel like she wasn't Korean enough, um, that she was too American and too foreign to her. The, the fact that she, uh, her mom says like, you eat, you eat, you are what you eat and you eat Korean food. Therefore you are Korean enough for me. Then that's another reassurance for her that she's still connected to her mom. Right. Right. I I suppose that line I just, I, I like buckled while reading it. It's just, yeah, she was right about everything. It's like, I don't know about the uh, abuse that she gave you <laughs> emotionally. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, you know, some of that stuff she's hashing out on her own. But, yeah, that's right. th- that's the kind of line where I'm like, okay, well, well that's, <laughs> it's the, so much of this memoir is acknowledging complexities and complications and everything. And it's like, let's, I don't know if we need to hand over a line like that. But then again, in the wake of this experience and her caregiving and it's just like those are the kinds of things you feel it's it's extreme ebbs and flows you know it's like really mm-hmm. really wa- intense waves of, of the feelings so yeah no i i appreciate it again thanks for the hand google translate you we owe you one i guess <laughs> somehow <laughs> um let's conclude this book uh, chapters 19 and 20 um do we do we get everything you wanted to hit there okay 
final couple chapters. As the house is sold, the family house, we already mentioned some depressing real estate listings. Um, as their house is sold and Zahner's father moves to Thailand, which she does reference but doesn't dwell on really. Um, she does inherit one final item, the family's kimchi fridge, which is sort of a basement dwelling large device used to hold that you know glorious fermented dish, the cabbage, the cabbage of, of lore. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and in Wisconsin, by the way, in like the Midwest, you know, white American Midwest, often the downstairs fridge is used for like extra drinks or sometimes a lot of frozen meat. So I, I understand the kind of logistics of having a separate fridge <laughs> or separate freezer. That's pretty common in, in the Midwest um, for different foods. Anyway, um, she discovers though when she picks it up that it is filled with photographs and sort of memorabilia. I think they're not organized, right? Just like a huge collection of family photos. So it's a bit of family history. She uses this as a moment to sort of reconcile and, and think about how that because her mother is passed, there's a ton of history that she'll never have access to. Again, it's a bit of an identity issue for her since her sort of Korean side of her family is now inaccessible in a sense. Um, she then even goes to like a Korean style spa in Philadelphia that while being a little, I think, cathartic, it doesn't fully settle her either. I mean, she feels cleansed in a way emotionally from it, but it's clear again that she's just really lost something she can never get back. There's some healing too at the end of the book, but in, there's also a lot of things left un unconcluded or um mm -hmm. un, what's the word i'm looking for it's like not tied up things that aren't tied yeah. up <laughs> um and I found in one sense, then, the final chapter is almost fitting because it's a very quiet ending. I mean, it's in some ways, it's very loud because it's like her life turns out to be successful and great. <laughs> but then it's like there's not a lot of, like, I don't know, intense familial drama left over, probably for the best. It, it felt like a nice, fitting ending. Um, and again, pretty positive in the whole. Her creative life takes off, the, her music gets noticed, and her album starts selling more. She um, gets the attention enough to like go on a notable international tour. She begins to like sell out stages and, and play for big opening acts. So her musical act, uh, Japanese Breakfast, is getting a lot of attention. She even can do it as a full-time job. She starts to publish more and gets kind of an award for a like Essay of the Year award for a an article or an essay she wrote about her mother she then kind of concludes in korea on this music tour where she gets to meet with family they watch her play music live and go to this concert there's a hilarious i guess moment of confusion about how she is doing this or like how they make money which i thought was so strange is that are our <laughs> concerts really unpopular in korea is live music just not it seems strange to think from the land of k-pop the current dominant international pop that it that people would not know like what a concert is i was like this is a strange thing <laughs> there's definitely concerts there <laughs> yeah well th what did you make of that moment then because they're like well are you who's paying what office are you or like what, what how did you interpret that i thought that was kind of funny I, I interpreted it as they didn't think that she was she was the musician. They their understanding was that she was maybe the Oh, got it. Yeah, that she was gotcha. some kind of assistant in some way. Yep. Yeah, that's um that's fantastic. That makes total sense cuz I the, and the, of course then it's cuz she was transitioning out of a career type job office role at that point. That makes yeah. I just yeah, they read it and they were just kind of like, "But how are you 
who at the office is paying you or how are you and i was like what it's a you pay to get into the it's a live event you just pay <laughs> anyway yeah i thought that was a funny thing but anyway you know they give her not a hard time about it. they're supportive anyway so it ends they're on a beach in korea and she's you know reflects on her life and sort of the connection she still has with her family there even though they can't communicate perfectly but it's they talk about how proud her mother would be and she's there with her aunt and everything and so peter's there i, th- I think right so yeah, kind of ends in this wholesome manner with the whole remaining crew together again. Um, what did you think of the ending? Um, I, I liked it, and I was... I like that it's not all neatly tied up, because, I mean, she's obviously, like, continuing. She's very young. She was very young when she wrote this, and, and this experience was only when she was, like, in her 20s, right? So there's still a lot that she's got left to experience and stuff and I like that it wasn't a super tidy ending with her dad. I like that it ends with the image of her and her her Korean um, family members and and her success and, and also didn't in the final scenes too, didn't her aunt say that she's actually very similar to her mom mm-hmm. in yeah. some ways yeah. so that was a nice thing uh, for her to kind of add to her <laughs> understanding of herself and her her relationship with her mom so i thought that was a really nice touch as well yeah yeah some sweet sort of moments at the end did you find the final chapter to be sort of a quiet send-off it's again odd for me to say that but i guess emotionally it was quiet like it's objectively her life uh, becomes great (laughs) she like really gets things going you know it's positive but yeah and she doesn't like dwell too much on on like her fame and stuff like that it's just it's very much like these are the things that happened next and the focus is on on her family and being able to to see her family and um and keeping that connection to her mom so i liked that yeah there's one final quote now i get to the illusion i made 10 hours ago (laughs) the beginning about the (laughs) family just because it's another moment i wanted to pick from this section because i find it rather complex and not fully naughty but she leaves some things unsaid enough and and often doesn't again allow us to fully just have a heartwarming moment without you know a little twist on 368 on mine it's when so they find the photos in the kimchi fridge this is also i don't remember what chapter it was in but it was kind of soon after she has a she tries to make tempura for their thanksgiving and no one likes Mm -hmm. it and they kind of they're not rude about it but they they don't eat it like she wants and they don't react to it like she wants so it's a very awkward kind of food culture moment for her um and, you know, throughout the book, obviously, Peter's been quite supportive and, and the family connections have been good. But I was like, oh, OK, that's, you know, it, it shows that she's not just going to be able to copy and paste her identity into a new into a new family. Right. Like it's there's real real things that get lost here and there's no simple answer for this. And then at the kind of towards the end of that or, or similar on 368, when she finds the photos of herself as a child, this is how this section wraps up. I called for Peter to look, tearing up as I sorted through the pile. I passed the baby photographs around to his grandmother and his mother, Peters. That's one adorable little Korean, his grandmother said, squinting as she held the photo (laughs) close to her face. And God, that dress, Fran squealed, singling out a photograph in the small stack amassed in her lap. You can tell your mother just adored dressing you up. And then it just ends there. Why don't you interpret this first, um, you know, stylistically or structurally or thematically or, or whatever, because I have a, I don't know, I have an interesting reading here. Again, it's not like I have some super secret reading, but I found this to be an oddly cold moment. I don't know if you did. Um, 
<laughs> I don't know about cold, but I thought that it was um, it was an interesting moment thematically in that the grandmother identifies her as Korean and, and just Korean. Um, yeah, a very white American grandmother thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, I was like, well, that's, that's definitely something that would, and this is something that she also kind of points to throughout her memoirs that the Americans think of her as Korean, but the Koreans think of her as American. Um, so, mm. but yeah, it was, it was just another interesting facet of her identity that, that I noticed when, when I read that scene. The, I guess here's where I'm coming from with it. And I want to point your attention to the final line. And then the, I, to me, you know, structurally speaking, the lack of commentary on it, um, you can tell your mother just adore dressing you up. This was one of her main points of psychological torment for her mother. Like that was one of the main, and I, this is written well enough and subtly enough that I don't think, I think back of that sentence I just quoted earlier about like, my mother was right about everything. A sentence again, I kind of bristled against like, wait, uh, I don't, it's not, this memoir is not giving me that energy or like, that's not what I'm taking from this, you know, so to speak. Then this happens with no commentary. I, I read it as, like, we reader know that's not true, and I don't need to say anything about it, because, like, that's how things go. Like, I, because th- there's two ways to follow that lineup, right? Either um, she says, kind of root A, yes, my mother really loved me and she wanted to pour her best into me, which, again, to me would feel kind of untrue for this memoir, <laughs> or B, like, this this woman who I who is clearly a stranger to me has no clue the damage she just implied and like can never understand, you know, like the the torment of the thing she just said to me. It's so much more complicated. Um, and, and, you know, in reality, of course, it's a blend of those two things. But I guess I just appreciated that. The, the fact that she kind of left it there um, and that her step family doesn't seem cold or unknowing, but also this is just the way it goes. This is just the way personal histories try and get aggregated and blended and synthesized. It's like never perfect. It's never smooth. There's some unknowable part of yourself. Like you cannot communicate to people um, unless you write a memoir, I guess <laughs> uh, about it. So maybe now they understand, but anyway, that, so I just, yeah, I thought um, one of the more subtle, interesting moments, I don't know why I grabbed onto it so strongly, but I was just like, what a strange, and you know, the grandmother's speech there, again, it's not offensive, I would say, but it's it's right on that interesting, kind of impersonal, disconnected type of, uh, type of rhetoric, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought that line was such a curious choice. Yeah, it's like uh, something that people would say, like, oh, look, at you were such a cute little baby, and like, oh, I bet your mom just absolutely loved doing blank, 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 and it's it's very much like a common saying, but after having read yeah. the memoir, you're like, well, actually, <laughs> so yeah, yeah and I that's... agree, that's a nice little touch there. Yeah, and I, I think, again, I kind of did that false dichotomy thing a minute ago with how to follow it up, or whatever, but it, I do think I appreciate that she kind of leaves some things like that in there, and I like those uh, unstated moments or, or something. Um, yeah, just, yeah, thought that was an interesting thing to kind of throw in towards the end of this. Shows the, I don't know, yeah, imp- imperfect combination of, of lives. It's tough. Um, any final thoughts before we get to our ending segments? Sure. Um, just real quick, I wanted to point out, because I, I love her descriptions of food and stuff, mm-hmm. um, on page... 
223 when she's um, when she found the pictures in the kimchi refrigerator she says I had thought fermentation was controlled death left alone a head of cabbage molds and decomposes it becomes rotten and edible but when brined and stored the course of its decay is altered sugars are broken down to produce lactic acid which protects it from spoiling carbon dioxide is released and the brine acidifies it ages its color and texture transmute its flavor becomes tartar more pungent it exists in time and transforms so it is not quite controlled death because it enjoys a new life altogether and what yeah. I really liked about that is because I, I thought that the description was just wonderful and um, the, the logical flow was just really well done. But also, she's obviously talking about her memories of her mother, keeping her mother alive and transforming her understanding of, of herself and her mother, thus keeping all of that alive. So mm-hmm. I just thought that that was a really nice description as well as like symbolism there. Yeah, it's you might have just pulled the best paragraph from the book, you know? Like that's one it's a really perfect metaphor. It fits in with every food idea she's had. It fits in with the loss of her mother and the just loss of the history, but then also it's it turns her into something new and edible and wonderful or something. Um yeah, no, it's that's really exceptional. It's pro- again, probably the best paragraph in the book, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, excellent. Any any other thoughts then? Just perfect. Nope. That was it. Fantastic. Um, let's jump into our final segments. Then we always end our part two book clubs with a couple segments. We're going to start with the, what do we call it? Outside expertise? Quote, critical assistance. There critical we go. Assistance. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's the same theme, different names. Uh, critical <laughs> assistance is just when we each pick a work of criticism about this book, usually book reviews from publications online, stuff like that, because we want to see how other people reacted to the work and get some thoughts outside of ourselves. I'll go first this week. You want me to take it on first? Yeah, go ahead. That's what Aurora is telling me. I'm, I'm rocking and I'm rolling. <laughs> um, I took from the Chicago Review of Books, which I've never used before, so excited to give them a shout. And it, the article is called The Mouthwatering Charm of Crying in H-Mart. It's by, um, well, uh, sorry if I mispronounce this, um, Malaka, Malavika Prasid is how I'm going to pronounce it. Uh, so thanks for the article. A couple quotes here to jump in on. Um, from Joan G- from Joan Didion's The Year of Magical Thinking to Maya Shenbag Long's What We Carry, we've seen iterations of this memoir across cultures and with varying degrees of catharsis at the end. Michelle Zauner's take is exquisitely detailed and wonderfully layered, both episodic in its individual essays and continuous in its exploration of grief. Its depictions of motherhood and daughterhood stand alone. Yeah, I like the... I don't know about stand alone. Like, I don't know if it's the most... I don't know, the most potent, like, literary thing I've read, but it was excellent. And I did like that she pointed out that the chapters could almost, they're like almost essays, you know? It's like you could almost squint and see how they'd be, you could, like, pick them out and separate them and it would be their own little things. I do think it works as a whole, but the the fact that they go out of order, the fact that you can almost pick them apart, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, like, overall, I think that description is pretty fitting. Yeah, I like that she uses the word multi-layered, wonderfully layered, multi-layered, uh, because it is. It's and, and although she says that the mother-daughter uh, relationship seems to be the thing that can stand alone, I don't think that it could. Um, I think that it's one aspect, but it's definitely layered in in how many things she's kind of like exploring in her memoir. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's um i think gives it its credit again i don't think i've read enough memoirs honestly to put it in any sort of pantheon because i don't even think i have one it's not a genre yeah. that i read the most <laughs> of honestly so but yeah the strong praise for sure um a couple quotes from the end. Actually, I'm going to skip ahead on my own. Zahner never sugarcoats her mother, although we feel her urge to do so. It's a natural impulse to reminisce and block out sour memories when remembering someone lost, creating a new picture from the pieces we have. Zahner, however, shows us all the pieces. We see how her mother's legacy lives in its fragmented way in photographs, family members, and recipes. I think this is mostly true. Again, a good summation of her approach. It's, it's kind of brutally honest when it needs to be. I again, and I already you know railed on these quotes, or that that verb is way too strong. I mentioned these quotes, but I do think so. Towards the end, it kind of turns toward the the sweet remembrances and sort of it's more about what she's losing, you know, and not so much about the 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 tough times, the hard growing up, the hard childhood, which is fitting enough. It's you know people move on and people grow and everything. Um, but yeah, I think I, I do think she. I, did you feel like it wrapped up in a bitter sort of confused or middling way? Like by the end, it seems pretty clear. She's like, she wants to own the legacy her mother gave her. She feels like she can take positive things away. Like, does that, does that all fit? It didn't feel like she ended in a complicated place to me. The, the complication is that she lost someone who meant a lot and her own identity is kind of fractured and she's got to figure it out. But it, I didn't feel leaving the book like that she has mixed feelings about her mom. It almost feels, it felt almost more positive than that. Am I, am I over reading the end? No. And I think I, I agree that it was more of a positive outlook on her mom. But I think part of that too, is that towards the end there, her mom, uh, really chilled out in, in a lot of her criticism. Right. In the college um, years and everything. Exactly. And even at the very end um, on her on her wedding day, she was expecting her mom to be like, oh, that's too much makeup or, oh, you need yeah. to change your hair, um, those things. But her mom was just like and uh, Zauner herself kind of said, like, maybe she just realizes that ultimately those little things don't really matter. Um, yeah. So yeah. her mom also chills out um, over the course of time. So I, I think that it's not surprising to me that the overall remembrance of her mother is positive despite some of the the more negative happenings in her youth no definitely and i think the maturity of age you know distant like it all makes sense it didn't it didn't read as like she was um falsely moving on or something strange but um yeah and i think the beginning is just it's it's just complex and uh, kind of fragmented in the way you'd want an honest memoir to be. Uh, the final quote, I think, is the most meaningful. Uh, I came to crying in H Mart expecting him to cry, which I did, but what I did not expect was the amount of self-reflection it would cause. Zauner issues broad platitudes and make her and makes her work relatable, both on a cultural and personal level. She does not over-explain her Korean heritage, doesn't provide a footnote for every morsel of food. She unpacks a difficult mother-daughter relationship without falling victim to stereotype. She makes no attempt to humanize her mother, quote-unquote quote, quote, humanize her mother, through a glowing eulogy but merely shows us the patchwork quilt of scattered memories her mother was human is human in this book zauner brings us all in so close that we're left with no other option but to examine our own lives just as closely yeah it's high praise i agree with like i agree with most of it too it's a really well put conclusion i, I especially want to call out the uh, she does not overexplain her Korean heritage, doesn't provide a footnote for every morsel of food it's maybe the best accomplishment of the book because 
what it's wow it's such a hard balance to do because she explains just enough so that you don't feel like you're frustrated or that you have to run to google but then she does leave enough stuff under explained or just quickly referenced that you feel kind of like immersed in something you don't know again this is for me a, a non-korean have no korean heritage like uh, you know someone a white american man who has no connection to this directly so i found it to be like when i read that sentence i was like yeah it's really remarkable like i never felt like oh geez i just got to go google stuff now but then again there were definitely plenty of terms where i was just kind of like i wonder what that exactly you know it's like it it felt like she left i don't know the power of emotion um imagination in there which is a weird i don't know it's hard to describe but it's quite a balance though and i i appreciated that i agree with it uh yeah the coming at it from somebody who is familiar with korean food the part that i found the most um confusing i suppose about some of um the the food names is that it's the romanized names right so it's it's in Mm -hmm. an american it's in a the roman alphabet so i'm like if it were in korean i'd be like okay i know that food but i'd know i had not seen a lot of those um food names in english before so i was just like uh (laughs) so I, i also had to rely on the descriptions of the food sometimes to be like oh she means this um so that I could like translate it in my mind. But yeah, I, can I, I, I liked that I had to do that too. <laughs> can I phrase it this way? Maybe I'm trying to think through how I want to articulate this, the feeling it gave me. I'm certain that some of the things I visualized were wrong, but the descriptions were so rich that it's like, it doesn't, it feels like it sh- doesn't matter. I know it does. Right. I know it's like, I'm picturing food that's probably imaginary or something, <laughs> but it's, it feels just so the, the descriptions are just rich enough for it's like, I know the feeling it wants to evoke. So even if this is the wrong shapes and colors or something, it's like I, you know, it feels right to me and it doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So that's that's how I feel about it. It's I thought it was such a nice balancing act and a good summary, too, of the of the book, really. Yeah. How about for your critical assistance? Feel free to throw us in. Sure. Um, I got mine from The Guardian, and it's called Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zauner Review, A Self-Deprecating and Honest Memoir. Mm. And that's by Sarah Shin. Um, So I just pulled a couple of quotes, actually. So the first one is, um, her prose is a vivid performance, moving from self-deprecating to attentive with textured descriptions of the aesthetic and felt qualities of any moment. Although we learn that it's Peter who has read all seven volumes of In Search of Lost Time, through her writing, Zauner performs the work of creative memory that recovers and transmutes the past into something livable with verb and honesty. So we had mentioned before that, you know, she's a very uh, truthful writer. So she's obviously yeah. the honesty part, I think, um, is something that we both can agree on. And um, textured descriptions of the aesthetic. I was like, oh, I love that. Yes, I, and definitely I agree with that. I don't, I don't know if there's anything that stood out to you with that, but... Yeah, I think... The verb and honesty, the verb part, I don't know, do, do, do you find yourself... You know, let's do the imaginary future looking back on, on the past. I don't know if I'll remember the kind of literary verb of this one, but it's such an honest book... And she is a very capable kind of writer, writerly guide, literary guide that it's, 
Yeah, I think it, it the, the honesty, the self-deprecation is probably what I'll take away from it. I don't know if I'll come back to it looking for exquisite sentences, but it it, it does evoke something very personal and like moving and emotional. So yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, I think that for me stylistically, it's it's all in the food descriptions for me. That's it definitely jumps out for sure. I, she yeah. do, she does smart things as we've already hit really hard in this episode, but with like cutting things out, leaving things out, transitioning away sometimes. Like I think that stuff is has a nice touch to it. It's it's subtle and leaves some of the themes unsaid at times too. Not all the time, but I think there's enough of those moments for sure. Um yeah, any other quotes from this one? It's a good one. Yep. Uh after chemotherapy, Chongmi says her veins look black as if toxins run through them. Medicine Zauner corrects, killing all the bad things. The nature of this confusion is expressed in the pharmacon, a Greek term that means both poison and remedy, and which, according to Jacques Derrida, also represents writing itself. A story of great loss and growth, crying in H-Mart holds this ambiguity too, with Japanese Breakfast's latest album Jubilee, described by Zauner as about joy, following up the book for which film rights have also been optioned. It seems that in her art, she has found the tricky yet transformative key to her inheritance um so first i I didn't know that it was gonna be made into a movie possibly i could see it definitely it's in terms of just family dramas go it's got rich rich material for sure and yeah it does um a lot of drama um, <laughs> I, yeah, and, I meant drama like in the genre sense, <laughs> just like yeah, in you know in terms drama. of like a, yeah yeah. I didn't mean that it's you have to include the father's uh, drunk driving exploits or whatever. I just mean there's just so many yeah there's so many layers you can crack into in the you know I don't know if you would do all the years of like teenager through up through adulthood or I don't know how you do it but yeah it's it's got so much to to poke at. Hmm. Um, and I, I thought it was interesting that she, uh, that the author here, uh, mentions Derrida as a, uh, literary philosopher. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and so the, it holds ambiguity. So a, a story of great loss and growth crying in H Mart holds this ambiguity too. And I think that it's true, the, that it's got both the good things as well as the bad things and the the good things kind of help to overcome some of those bad memories i suppose but i I liked that description yeah yeah the the whole idea of the poison being the remedy or sort of a thing being its own you know antithesis or or something almost is kind of true too because it's I mean, that's what if if there's no simpler summary of her mother's own role, then that's because, you know, her mother, both, you know, an ob- a person of torture in her life, but then also kind of the key to unlocking her, her identity and her comfort in herself, you know, her sort of like owning her own person. It, it's yeah, it's complex. It, it holds many yeah. both things. Right. And it's it's uh, tangled up. So, yeah, really so great quote, too. Any other thoughts on those critical assistants? Excellent. Okay. Yeah, mostly positive reviews too. I, I only read two, so I don't know how many you poked at or you know explored. Just a couple, yeah. Yeah, all positive from what I could find. It was a big hit when it was released too. 
All right, final segment then. Before we wrap up this memoir, we're going to do our lightly literary Hall of Fame. We each pick an element of the book, something specific to induct into our Hall of Fame, even if we didn't like it. But in this case, we both strongly enjoyed it, so this shouldn't be oh, too yeah. difficult. Uh, again, I'll, I'll take on first. I'll go first. I'm going to induct the first chapter of this book. Uh, because I admire it, and I don't think I've inducted anything quite like this or for this reason, I think it's a tremendous expectation setter for the book. Um, It establishes quickly the important role of food and that I think some of her true verve is the word the author used earlier and the liveliness (laughs) of the book comes in the food. Like I think those moments and descriptions jumped out to me as sort of the most vibrant in, in the story. It also hits you with some pretty blunt emotional truths and some of her own shortcomings, her petty jealousies of these families enjoying themselves. Like it's it's very honest. She doesn't hold back about her own emotional state and her own kind of where her mentality is which again is not it's not flattering all the time like it's not she's not in a totally healthy positive place but that's it's honest it's also yearning it's yeah emotional the food's intense so i just think i want to induct that first chapter just to say you really held up your end of the bargain as a writer like it's if you enjoy that first chapter you know as as we would love to give this advice all the time like then just keep going (laughs) not all books can achieve that feeling or kind of keep the keep that rhythm or that pattern but this one really did so first chapter is going in for me i like it yeah that the first chapter is really great um yeah i said for me that um the best descriptions of food to make me actually hungry um yeah. we've read yeah. a food memoir before but the the food descriptions weren't as as inviting as the descriptions could, here. Yeah, I could see that. Equally fraught, that one for very different reasons, though. <laughs> yeah. Like a very different type of fraught. I, the Italy sections were interesting in that book. That was Blood, Bones, and Butter. That, that's the one you're talking about, right? Okay. Yeah, another food memoir. But yeah, there's that one had its moments, but you're right. It's It was, it was also wrapped up in so many other kind of emotional things, too. Mm-hmm. Any food that you'll remember just off the top right now? I know you didn't prep any quotes. Um, the the scene when she's eating with her uh, aunt Unmi and the just the description of the crispy fried chicken and the oil just kind of like slipping down her fingers and stuff. Oh, yeah. That's a great um, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Truly potent stuff. Truly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. A, a worthy Hall of Fame induction and really just a, a great read. We were coming off of another book that that I had chosen that was yeah, kind of mixed reaction. So nice to get back into one we both really enjoyed. Yeah, despite being so popular. It might truly be the first popular book that we both liked. <laughs> Though Evelyn Hugo will always be, you know, it's like, I like that book, but I like a lot of things I don't think about. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, that's, <laughs> yeah, it's sort of, but no, this, yeah, this one I thought was, was really pretty great and, and interesting. Yeah. Also that Me she's too. totally embedded a book within a book because when she writes the book about her estranged father, then I'll read that too. <laughs> <laughs> when she has him like dictate his life story and then has it written up for him, I will, yeah. I'll maybe not pay for it. Let's see where he's at maybe in his life, but I'll, I'll be intrigued <laughs> um excellent yeah any any other final thoughts on crying in h mart by michelle's honor excellent okay well if you stuck with us this long we thank you for joining us on another book club journey hope the analysis was fun and insightful uh glad you could join us we have other books coming up do you want to talk them through the next three amanda 
Yeah, so next up we have Dubliners by James Joyce, which is a short story collection. Yeah. Um, and then we have The Human Stain by Philip Roth, which is a novel. Yep. And then we have Soccer in Sun and Shadow by Eduardo I think Gaiano. It's G-A-E-L-A-N-O. Gaiano? A, uh, a poet, I'll look it up. I think. <laughs> okay. Yeah, those are the next three coming up. And very different things, so I like it. Short story collection, novel, and then a memoir slash essay collection of a sort. So, about soccer. Hadn't done a sports book yet. Thought we had to get one we in. We haven't. Yeah. It only seems fair. And you love soccer. I do, yeah. I had to choose carefully. I had a few options. I've, I've got a ton of soccer books that I own that I haven't read. So, had to choose carefully here. It, it is the most literary, I think, of what I could have chosen. Because there's a, there are other soccer books that are kind of literary in their aspirations, but I've read them. This is one of the ones left that I have not read. So, Okay, excellent. Again, listeners, thanks for listening all the way through. We appreciate it. Thanks for hanging with us. We have social media accounts on Instagram and Facebook. Follow us there at the Lightly Literary Podcast, which is all one word. And yeah, check out those books. We'll post up in our feed. So check us out there. Subscribe on your podcast platform. Leave reviews. It always helps. You know, tell your friends and family all the good stuff. And uh, until next time, we'll see you between the pages. Mm-hmm.